Welcome to Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. At the end of each week, I sit down with some of the brightest people building Web3 to talk about what they're working on right now. Today, I'm joined by Nader David, founder of DeveloperDAO. DeveloperDAO is a decentralized autonomous organization composed of thousands of Web3 developers. In this episode, author, educator, and developer relations specialist Nader Dabit walks us through discovering his passion for programming in his late 20s, his time at AWS and Edge and Node, creators of the Graph Protocol, and how he created the Devs for Revolution NFT that became the membership token for DeveloperDAO. We're also joined by DevDAO operations lead Kempster, who sheds light on the many areas of activity the DAO engages in and what to look forward to in the upcoming Season 1 launch. DeveloperDAO is an exciting, emergent community for experienced and new devs alike. Their expansion into formal education, project incubation, and investment is inspiring. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, welcome, Nader. How's it going? Hey, going pretty good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Welcome. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm only a couple of minutes late. I was, um, or a minute or two late, I was wrapping up a live stream, actually, with uh, when we build Web3. And 30 days of Web3, we're giving away some memberships to DeveloperDAO. It was pretty cool. We haven't done that, never done that before. So I saw that. Was it 10, 10 NFTs given away today? Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, I was actually reviewing some other interviews with you earlier today. And I was hoping that today we could focus on DeveloperDAO. Because I think there's actually not as much content uh, with you talking about DeveloperDAO. And, and I found it a really exciting project. Yeah, that's a great topic. I'd be happy to, to talk about that. Awesome. Well, I guess we might as well dive right in. Before we start, maybe I'll check. Uh, for folks who are already in the audience, throw up an emoji if you're uh, if you're in developer DAO. Throw up a heart if you're in dev DAO. I don't know. We've we've got a small audience to start. We have a small audience. We need to convert everyone there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And actually, so we'll get into that. But I, I'm excited because so I posted uh, and maybe I'll post it here on on the the space here. But I found the original video uh, from your blog post on Mirror, where you talk about uh, or you, you demonstrate deploying the NFT contract uh, derived from Loot that is the basis of, uh, of DevDAO, which is pretty cool that that's all documented on YouTube. Yeah, that was a video where we, we launched it. It looks like you, you linked to it and that tweet that, that was sent out. Um, and yeah, the idea was there and the smart contract was deployed during that live stream, kind of put it out there to the world and was hoping that it would become something and it and it did so that's pretty cool <laughs> but didn't know what was what was going to happen but the vision was like there and a lot of really great people stepped in and made it what it is today it was like one percent me and 99 percent everyone else i have to, to say but um i was really you know happy to, to kind of see what happened over the last 11 months so september will be one year and we're kind of getting to a place now within the community where we're um, have formed a legal entity. We're launching a governance token and we're kind of like done putting all the things in place to make the vision of like, you know, some of the ideas around education and um, expanding the surface area and impact of what we're doing to make it actually like happen. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff around running a DAO is so messy and it's, it's so, it's so tough to kind of pull off. And I'm just really proud of how, how everything is like, even though it's taken a lot longer than we maybe would have hoped, I'm just proud of how it's all kind of like come together. Yeah, I'm sure there's like tons of lessons and I fail every experience I've ever had in a DAO is whatever it's about, plus the education about starting a DAO or running a DAO. So I'm sure just going through all the steps 
as long as it takes, is also educating this whole community about how to launch their own kind of decentralized organizations. And so first of all, before we get into DevDAO too much, you know, we both come from a background of starting programming in our later 20s, I guess for me, mid-20s, for you later 20s, early 30s, and having work experience outside of tech. I was listening to an interview you did where you were talking about how given the experience you had working in retail and service industry, that it was easier for you to appreciate the, the sort of joys and, and compensation, et cetera, in, in tech of being able to do something that you're interested in and be well paid for it sometimes. So I think it, it's interesting to have that perspective and come all the way from completely different background into not only tech, but also into Web3 and into creating your own DAO, which then exceeds even your wildest imagination, I'm sure. Um, so I'm curious, do you still feel that way about working in Web3? Yeah, 100%. I mean, just being in tech period, I think I, I can still remember it like it's yesterday. It was one of the just defining moments of my life. I think going from um, being in the service industry almost for most of my life, and then the job I actually had in tech was in uh, Los Angeles. I'm, I'm from Mississippi, and there wasn't a lot of opportunity here to kind of land uh, tech jobs, especially from someone like me who didn't really have a traditional uh, educational background. You know, I didn't really have a degree in computer science or any of that stuff. So walking into the first day of my job was this startup slash consultancy in Los Angeles and Glendora, which was like right off of a really famous highway. I forgot the, the name of it. Route 66, I think it is. Mm-hmm. But like they had this like really nice, big, building that was almost like a warehouse and like it's just probably like the average tech company maybe but it just was new to me you walk in and people like have their pets around there's like this really nice lounge area there's snacks people are just sitting around in flip-flops like on their computers (laughs) and they're making like six figures and this is like just crazy for me like when i when i just like i'm just like wow like literally i'm about to get paid to sit there and write code i just i just remember it was just like just mind-blowing to me and especially like, I mean, when you really compare it, like if you're working in Mississippi, there are jobs that pay like $7 an hour still. And these, these jobs suck really bad. And it's just hard to, to, to get ahead and, and find a way to kind of make enough money to even like live a comfortable life, even working like these really tough jobs. So I think just going from seeing that to being able to do stuff that I consider fun, making a lot more money. And it just is just like night and day. And I think that anyone that's kind of gone through that, like if you've, if you've been raised in a family where everyone's maybe like educated and like they, they're maybe doctors and lawyers and like, you're just used to knowing that you can kind of like live a comfortable life versus, versus maybe not having that. I think it's, it's also maybe a difference depending on like how you kind of were brought up and like the situation that you were brought up in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can I can definitely relate to this experience. Uh, just before coming into Web3, I was doing a, a grad degree in art, basically, uh, but also working in a digital fabrication lab in a community center, in a not well-off community center. And uh, a lot of similar themes about helping people build projects, uh, you know, make their imagination into, into reality, but without the resources and I mean, a lot of the advantages that working in like an information digital environment give you, uh, where trying to build physical things, especially at a kind of grassroots level on the ground, it, you know, I, I understand what you mean about the sort of, it seems really idyllic when you enter into the, the tech space in general. And it's cool that in Web3, we get a lot of those advantages, but also a lot of the kind of weirdness of 
more like a punk art scene or whatever cypherpunk scene as well. It's very cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that from transitioning from the startup culture, which is where I started off, and I think like 10 years ago, which is when I started in tech, Google and like Facebook and Amazon were kind of still looked at as almost like startup-y, you know, they were like, look at that, like the t- cool tech companies. Yeah. Whereas I think like today they're maybe Google or some you know parts of different, these companies might still hold that, but now they're kind of feel more like corporate-y type of jobs. Whereas I feel like Web3 companies and certain startups like Vercel seem like the new cool, like fun places to work. And uh, especially after having experienced the, the corporate world at Amazon for a couple of years, it's not a place I would go back. I don't think there's an amount of money that I could be given to go back, but it was a good experience. And I, and I wouldn't, I'm not trying to discourage people from like trying that out because the things that you get from working in these large organizations probably can't be learned maybe in other places. And maybe you don't even need that knowledge actually, depending on what you want to do, but it's, uh, it's, it's comes with the trade-offs, I guess. But like, but really the point that I'm trying to make is that I think 10 years ago, place like Google was looked at a lot differently maybe than it is today. And um, not to say that it's not a place that people should aspire to, to want to go work. But I think that the more like disruptive, innovative spaces now are more like startups and, and companies maybe doing stuff in blockchain and Web3, at least uh, to, in my opinion. And uh, Google and, and Facebook and Amazon are more look and feel more like bureaucratic type of organizations where if you want to get something done, it takes six months and one year worth of like, you know, meetings and stuff just to change like a little tiny like button or something like, you know, like the innovation there just isn't as rapid. I don't think as it's happening maybe in, uh, in other areas. Yeah. They're not the rebels anymore. Once you got 50,000, a hundred thousand employees, you're not the, you know, it's not, it's no longer a company in the garage for sure. There you go. Yeah. So let's turn to developer now, because if people want to find other resources on, uh, you know, your background, your transition, I think there are valuable lessons in all that. And I, from the sounds of it, I think, you know, the experience uh, building coding boot camps and the developer relations experience you had at Amazon, I'm sure played into your work at Edge and Node and uh, Celestia now. But I think the the part of your career that I at least found the least content on and the one that I find most exciting is this developer DAO stuff. So can you take us back? What was the origin story of developer DAO? And maybe even a little context about loot for people who aren't familiar with the, the origins of the contract as well. Okay, without like going into too long of a story, I do want to take another step back and please, please. kind of talk about, yeah, like why I, I think that um, the culture and the missions and values of developer DAO have like resonated maybe with a lot of people. Um, hopefully, I think that like, again, going back to, to getting a job in tech from a non-traditional background, I, I didn't even actually graduate from high school. I don't have a, a high school uh, diploma or a college degree. So therefore, to get into tech, I was leveraging community resources. So I was taking a lot of free online courses. I was actually going on YouTube and watching like Stanford, MIT, Harvard. They all started putting this open courseware on YouTube back in the early 2000s, 2010s, I mean, actually. And um, also blog posts and open source and stuff were kind of how I got my foot in the door. And I think that the appreciation that I have for those people and those resources have been kind of like a core part of who I am. Because I think that, again, the life-changing experience of getting into tech is something that I'll never um, stop 
remembering. And I think that the whole experience of like, oh, I'm learning all this stuff and these people are putting it out there for me for free. And once I got a job in tech, I wanted to do the same thing as well. And like once I became in a position to do that, I started doing that. So I lived in LA for a year, uh, moved back to Mississippi after that because I um, was kind of unable to living out there because I was making, you know, I think like 50 or 60K at the time, but I had a family and um, also still had a mortgage back in Mississippi. So I ended up, uh, but but at least it was a way to get my foot in the door. But, but I moved back to Mississippi and the first thing I missed was there were no meetups and there were no conferences. There was no tech community here. So I was like, okay, I want to put on a meetup. So I started putting on meetups and there was no speakers. So I started just speaking at these meetups hmm. because like, you know, it was just a reason to kind of like, you know, put get everyone together, and like talk <laughs> about stuff. And then over time we started having you know, like speakers and stuff. But anyway, so like I became really, really interested in, in this whole like community aspect of maybe like helping other people get into tech. And, and, and it was a really fulfilling experience to be able to kind of start seeing some of those things play out. And like I would hold a meetup and someone would come and they would somehow get a, a really great job. And I would feel really good about having been a small part of that. And I think that that experience of getting into tech that way and then giving back is something that always was really fulfilling to me. So uh, over time, I ran that meetup for a little over three years. That's handed off now. Someone is still running it here in Mississippi. I launched a coding school called Code South Labs that spent about two years and didn't really go anywhere. I ended up losing, you know, pretty much all of the money that I put into it. But um, it ultimately led to another coding school here called Mississippi Coding Academies that was someone named Richard's son approached me early on after hearing about the meetups and, um, and also Code South Labs. And I helped kind of like drive the direction to help launch that. I was a small part of that. And now Mississippi Coding Academies is, is still like a thing and it's actually going pretty strong. And then like this whole experience is like what I would consider like community building, right? So like you're, you're trying to, to build these different communities. And I took that experience to my like DevRel career, I started doing blogging and stuff and creating like an organization at the time called React Native Training. React Native Training was like a YouTube channel. It was a blog publication. And we kind of like, it was my way of like getting into consulting and stuff as well. And that kind of like got me into what you would consider DevRel because I was essentially doing DevRel for my own company, React Native Training, and that landed me a role at, at AWS doing uh, DevRel there. And this is all like community building type of stuff. And to like fast forward to how DeveloperDAO kind of like launched. When I got into Web3, the first thing that kind of stood out to me, like beyond all of the, the general like crypto type of stuff and, and, and Web3 infrastructure type of stuff was obviously like DAOs. And they were really fascinating because like they offered like a new incentive mechanism for community building that didn't really like exist. And that was community ownership or at least the concept or the, yeah. the feel of community ownership, whether or not that's an actual like thing or not, depending on what community it is. And um, building out a community in the traditional tech world is basically like, you're going to create a discord and you're going to like try to incentivize people in the community maybe to like join that discord. And those people are really kind of just offering free tech support for these billion 
in all our companies sometimes, right. right? So you have like Amazon that has their community builders, which are great. You know, it's a great way to maybe get your foot in the door and all that, but there is no financial compensation. Instead, really, these people are kind of working as like um, unpaid tech support, I, I would say. You also have like these ambassador programs, which are pretty, pretty cool sometimes. But there is no real feeling of like camaraderie, I think, around uh, a lot of that stuff. Um, there's even like pretty good uh, Web2 communities like Reactiflux, which is actually a really great community. But I think like when you look at a, a DAO versus one of those communities, there is a clear difference around the type of camaraderie that you feel. So like when you go into a city and you're part of like a DAO and other people are part of that DAO, you will automatically be like, oh, let's like get together and like have lunch or let's get together and throw a party or let's totally. get together and just hang out. And you feel like you have something in common with them. So I think like seeing how all of that was like playing out with DAOs really was like compelling to me as a community, like builder, community organizer. And um, I-, I wanted to be a part of that. So I joined Friends with Benefits and Friends with Benefits was like the first DAO that seemed something that I might be like fitting in with, you know, this was, there wasn't a ton of DAOs actually at this point, like in two, the early 2021, I don't think. And it, it um, seemed like they were more, I feel like what we're talking about when we talk about DAOs is kind of the second generation, more NFT centric DAOs, uh, for even whether, or like social token era, like FWB versus like the original DAOs, which were more on-chain maxi managing a DeFi protocol. Whereas these are more like social organizations that then evolve into i don't know business models or whatever kinds of things yes that, that, that's that's exactly right yeah i read the uh, infinite machine and kind of understand like the the or- origination of, of DAOs. but my only involvement has been in like the 2021 22 community yeah ish version of DAOs. <laughs> and like you could you could go into kind of this whole like discussion around what a DAO is and even like a protocol like ethereum you know some people consider a DAO. Or any protocol that you're, you know, transacting on could be uh, depending on how the um, yeah, it's it's, it's a nice protocol is structured. It's a nice term because it doesn't mean so much. It's so flexible that it, <laughs> things that are completely yeah. opposite. You might some people might say like Bitcoin is a, an actual DAO because it is actually decentralized and autonomous and a kind of organization. Versus other people point at things that are more about voting, either on chain or off chain, even things that are managed by a multi-sig or something where there's a lot of trust in a smaller subset of the population to execute the will of the larger community. When I first got into the scene, I felt DAOs were a total misnomer. And instead of DAO, it should be like centralized bureaucratic organization because really they centralize all of the decision-making around a particular governance institution rather than genuinely decentralizing and making something autonomous. Like a smart contract that's immutable is truly autonomous. But at the end of the day, the fact that the term doesn't really work is kind of to its advantage because it allows for a lot of experimentation in all these different directions. Yeah, so like DAO being defined as decentralized autonomous organization, like you just mentioned, and then applying it to just a community, actually exactly what you're saying. You know, it's not it's not always even close to that. It's yeah. more of just like a Web3, <laughs> like Web3 community, I guess would be a better, a better word, you know? It's cool what you say or about tokenized the tokenized community sometimes. Yeah, because I think what you point to originally about this, like you know, there's all the you know people on the Apple you know support communities who are volunteering their time to diagnose AirPlay problems or whatever, have no actual on ramp into the main Apple ladder to start climbing. Really, it's very indirect the relationship. Whereas, or like I always think about how 
when I was a kid, I would get these uh, in Canada. We have Future Shop, or we used to have it. It's like Best Buy. Best Buy ended up buying it, but we had the store called Future Shop, and they would send a, a little flyer out to everybody's house on Saturday. And so you'd go and look at what the new video games are for PlayStation 2 and Xbox or whatever. But there was no, there, it was actually socially disadvantageous to be an early adopter at that point in time. But these crypto networks made it possible, essentially mobilized this early adopter culture, which had grown through the growth of like, Microsoft and Apple becoming consumer brands that people really cared about uh, in the way that people maybe cared about Sony previously, but even more so, more fealty, more like uh, MKBHD YouTubers talking about this tech stuff. But crypto and ultimately DAOs made it possible for people who were early adopters to not just be like the nerdy kid who knew about video games before they came out at school, but instead to actually have some something something similar to equity or some kind of token representing your relationship to the thing that could be financially advantageous or socially advantageous, but more than just the knowledge, actually something tangible. Yeah, that's that's right. That's a good point. And I think that um, there's also this balance around trying to figure out ways to give value to someone that is helping participate in a, in a DAO or in a community while also enabling accessibility. Because if you, if you create a barrier to entry, then you automatically are affecting the diversity of the people that can participate unless you have some low barrier to entry that does not involve financial access to kind of get in. So therefore you have like this paradox where you want people to have some type of value, but you don't want to make them spend money to get in. And right. therefore you have to have some type of onboarding mechanism that essentially just gives them a token or gives them something that, that down the road or even on day one, they can like liquidate and sell if they want to. But at the same time, you, you kind of, you know, you have to have that because if you don't, you're going to have a community that is just 99% like people that have, all of the same things in common and that's not what you want. And I think that was another thing that we thought of uh, that was part of, you know, with developer now and hopefully maybe other communities or that are coming around fun ways. It's really kind of about civil resistance a little bit, you know, you know, you, you want to have like a way to incentivize the right group of people or, or, or a group of people to, to join but you don't want someone to kind of like civil attack and take advantage of that and therefore have a large proportion of ownership. It's a, and it's I guess a, it's a paradox um, that to yeah. build a community, you both, I mean, it, it sounds, I, I'm very much on the same page as you. I'm interested in communities that are as accessible as possible to a wide range of people, especially people with different financial means. I don't think that's a particularly interesting way to limit access to something, but at the same time, if the doors are wide open, people maybe don't value it as much, but also it sort of devolves pretty quickly. And so it's kind of a paradox about building these communities that there needs to be like some amount of exclusivity in order for there to be like a coherent community that has an identity that people want to stay, you know, have some allegiance to and attract new people. But at the same time, you don't want just the doors wide open. Yeah. So early on um, to get in developer DAO, you could literally just go to, to a smart contract and if you knew how to interact with Etherscan, you could just mint the, the token for free. And when I say for free, you still had to pay the gas, but there was no like charge to, to mint the token. And I, and I really think like looking back on it, that while that was ultimately caused issues in the sense that we didn't bootstrap a treasury, and I, and I invited Kemp to come up here and speak because he's actually been the main, literally the main reason that developer DAO is like where it is today and awesome. successful. 
Um, if I had to pick out like one person that literally is like the reason I could say, okay, if we weren't, if it weren't for this person, we wouldn't be here today. I don't know if he wants to speak, but I've invited him up here. You followed the exact same model as loot. Basically, you dropped a contract that was a fork of loot and had the same free claim mechanism, obviously pay the gas to do the transaction, but anybody could grab an NFT and that NFT gave you membership to DevDAO. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the NFT wasn't like that nice of an NFT, in my opinion. It wasn't like, <laughs> oh, this is like a cool design and I'm going to show it off. It was more just like, if you were a developer, you would think it was cool. And if you weren't, then you probably wouldn't give it much notice. So therefore, we, we did kind of, I think, bootstrap a really high quality community early on of people that were just, they wanted to be part of the community. So they would just mint one token. Now, we did have a few people that minted like a bunch, but it was like such a small percentage that we did end up with a fairly, I would say, like we, we did a few tweets where we were like, like, what part of the world are you in? And literally, like, we had people from like 100 countries that, that showed up. So it was like a fairly diverse group of, of folks like so cool. kicking off a developer now. For context, the collection is called Devs for Revolution. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, it looks just like loot. It's text, except it's inverted colors. So it's black text on a white background. And the properties, instead of being these kind of RPG properties, Dungeons and Dragons kind of things, they're programming related subjects like operating systems and such. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's what it was. Like uh, the idea was in my head for a couple of months after joining Friends of Benefits. I was like so jazzed on day one to be in Friends of Benefits. There's a developer channel. There was like artists. There were actors. There were like sex workers. There were all types of like people in there. It was so cool to kind of just see all these people like in a community together. Mm. But like I noticed in the developer channel, I'm like in there and I'm trying to kind of like, you know, meet some people and there isn't a lot of action. And my, my first thought was like, oh shit, it would be so dope if there was a friends with benefits, but everyone was a developer. Right. And, um, that was probably like May or June or something like that ish. And, um, the thought was in my head and then when, and when loot project launched and I looked at their smart contract, I was like, oh shit, this is like a really simple smart contract that could be forked. And we could literally like maybe have this as like a, a way to, to build a DAO and we could just change out these characters to be developer traits as opposed to like traits of a character for, for the like loot project, which was kind of like, you might have a cape or a sword or something like that. I think instead with developer DAO, you would have like a computer or an operating system. You would live in a certain city. You would have a text editor, you know, all these things that like a developer would like think were cool, but like probably most people would think we're kind of stupid. I love that um, you dropped it. Uh, you did, you showed yourself deploying the contract and, and sort of explaining the contract in this video. It's perfectly like coherent with what your role is in the community to not only create the community, but also to be showing every step along the way how it's done. Yeah, exactly. The live stream happened on a day where gas was probably one of the highest ever oh, no <laughs> like literally like i'm not i'm not exaggerating because like i'd set aside at the time like two thousand dollars or something to launch the contract which is kind of crazy right even today like that's <laughs> that's kind of expensive but when i tried to launch it that wasn't even enough gas it ended up costing i think like five thousand dollars to launch which is a what i would consider a fairly basic smart contract yeah. that today would probably about 200 to, to launch but it just happened that that day the, the gas was like ridiculous but because i was on a live stream i wanted to, to actually like make this work so I, I ended up <laughs> transferring more and more eth into my wallet until it finally went through and i was like just fuck it like yolo 
It's like, because I couldn't like go through all of that and have it fail. So I was like, I'll just like do this. And it, and, it, and yeah, we finally got it launched. And um, Kemp, who's right up here as one of the speakers. Yeah, welcome. Like, was like very early on. Yeah, Kemp, do you want to kind of give an intro to yourself? Uh, hey guys, <laughs> nice to meet everyone. Uh, thanks for, cheers man, thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing me up. And like, um, thanks for the kudos later, but uh, to turn that back on you, like um, if people don't know you too well, I think he's one of the, uh, one of the, the nicest people I've met and always lays a path behind him for, for folks to be successful. And I think developer Dow is a massive example of that. Helps a lot of people do some really cool stuff. So, data man, I hope you, uh, you take some pride in, in what you created. Thanks, man. Yeah, we're up here talking about it. So I'm definitely proud of uh, what we've done so far. And we still have, I think, a lot more that, that's going to happen, especially especially after the last couple of like weeks um, of good news. So, yeah, I'm excited to, to kind of see what happens next. Okay, so I want to get into this. So, Kempster, how did you find DevDAO? How did you get involved? That's uh, a really good question. It's a pretty uh, common story that you'll hear from many people in the DAO. So... Matt has got like a, a really good track record of, of being a great educator in the space. Um, so as like a, a budding developer learning how to code, like I followed along a lot of his tutorials. And then I, I, I sort of took a sabbatical in like last June, so like a year ago, June. Um, I was doing some of a lot of the stuff that he had put out around uh, AWS and serverless and then started getting degening into crypto a little bit, losing a load of money attempting to trade. And then came across uh, Nada's video launching the DAO and like was kind of like joined Bankless' server and was kind of like looking at different stuff, like opportunities to try and maybe get a bit more actually involved in stuff. And then as soon as Nada launched that, it's like you kind of already build up that like social trust with someone that you don't even know. But it's like this seems like a really cool idea. I jumped in and uh, like it was pretty chaotic and it's still pretty chaotic. Like it's very interesting to launch a DAO without like any like structure or plan up front. Um, but yeah, I just jumped in. There was a server with loads of amazing people in it, like coming up with loads of really, really cool ideas and ended up being a moderator and then just kind of evolved into um, taking some responsibility for some of like the cadence of community calls and stuff like that. And now my, my role is operations basically. So one big thing that's happened at the moment is we've just created a foundation in the Cayman, which gives us a, huge unlock to be able to interface with the real world and provide some like like limited liability for members uh, and we're launching our new governance token on the 22nd of august as well so yeah really really cool uh, most people will have a very similar journey i think if you ask them uh, and uh, yeah it's been certainly been fun i haven't coded much since i joined the town but, but other than that it's been uh, it's been great so developer DAO launches and are we immediately in season zero or what's the next step after, after the token dropped? So the original NFT drops, well, then I was sort of talking through the, the video and then like maybe over the course of like a month or two, like it was just like chaos. There was no structure. There was nothing. And then we started to like have some like regular cadence of meetings and conversations to just to chat about like, why are we here? What are we doing? And then that kind of evolved into like putting in a, an initial structure that was based on what we called guilds, which was like grouping people with shared skills and interests together, just an album to just kind of like meet each other and figure out interesting stuff to do. And then season zero started, uh, I'm going to say like November time, like all of this stuff is in our governance forum if people want to see. And then the goal of season zero was to 
lay the foundations for the org to move forward. So that was Is that like a mission, sta- the- mission statement kind of thing? Yeah, so we did the missions, goals, and values pretty early on, and that kind of set the direction for everything else. But like foundationally, like um, just like creating the, the legal entity, figuring out how our like governance reward and like incentivization system works, and uh, yeah, just putting in kind of like the mechanics of how the how the DAO would operate. So it's interesting. I think it's an interesting lesson for people who are curious about DAOs in general that the token dropped a free NFT, not building any kind of treasury, and a community formed around it thanks to Natter's reputation, essentially, and people's love for you online for how much they'd learned from you. And that ultimately led to a kind of social organization that decided we're going to figure out what we can do with this community, even though we don't have like a bunch of money or, or anything, but we have human power and that can let us create things in the future. Can you maybe describe a little bit about what the season zero process was? Uh, whoever wants to take this. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start it off and then I'll let Kemp continue. So like you mentioned, when I launched this, I actually had no idea how to, to run a DAO. And I still, I don't think anyone really knows <laughs> how to actually run it out. Like we're all just kind of learning. But um, obviously, I know a lot more than I did a year ago. I think Kemp knows significantly more than I do because he's been more involved in actually structure and stuff. But like when we launched, it was more just like, let's put this out there and just see what happens. And we'll kind of like learn along the way. And I think like as a developer, that's kind of how I've always like just done things. And I think like it's kind of this idea of shipping as opposed to like perfecting. Like if you, if you try to make something perfect before you ship something, you're never going to like get anything done. So instead you just kind of like learn quite as much as you can and then you kind of like ship something and then you iterate and you improve it. And I think that that was kind of the idea with developer DAO. I knew that we needed a lot of things to, to come together to actually make this work. And I wasn't able to do all those things. The only things that I'm good at are like certain things. So like I did those things and then other people that are good at other things kind of like came in and um, we launched without any idea or without any idea of what was going to happen. And and like you mentioned, we kind of started getting together, organizing stuff. And you start kind of noticing like maybe a combination of copying things that are successful with other DAOs as well as innovating yourself. And one of the things that you see often is like segmenting work into kind of almost like sprints in the developer world, but in, in DAOs it would be like seasons. So a season you might want to accomplish like this set of initiatives and then you kind of go to your next season. So we decided we want to kind of like start with a season zero, which is kind of an organizational like, you know, process of like getting all of our eggs or like all of our things like in place, I guess you could say. And then season one would be where we actually execute stuff. So season zero is something that we did that is kind of like, it finished, but we're still kind of like finalizing all of those things, you know, like he mentioned getting the legal entity set up for for limited liability for the um, founding members as well as the uh, community members and getting sponsors lined up and like getting people that are going to be doing the work and trying to set up ways to pay everyone. And then season one will be where we start doing even more stuff. But even in season zero, we've done stuff like launched, a uh, conference that that was successful dozen uh, or more organizations have already spun out of developer now that are successful women build web three is one of the most recent and, and one of the ones that i'm pretty the most proud of i would say actually i'm proud of all of them for sure but it's one of the ones that i've been a little bit more involved with lately and um 
Yeah. So, Kemp, do you want to kind of talk about like how the seasons work and, and some of the ideas around that? Yeah, for sure, man. That was a, a super good intro. And I think something that you said earlier was uh, like really apt about developer data. I think we've been very, very lucky about the vibes. And a lot of that comes, I think, with like how you started it. But like seasons for us are like, I guess, like discrete periods of time where we can kind of like align the community around some shared goals and objectives. And like, as as Nada said, like for us in season zero, like most of that was about laying operational foundations, but like some really cool shit was done in that time as well. The conference that Nada mentioned was called Web Freecon, and that was like super successful. And it was just a random group of people in the DAO that came together that wanted to do it. We've just yesterday put up our proposal for sort of the plan for season one. And we're kind of coming together as a community to kind of like really focus on education and like try and funnel as much of our energy and resources into creating free educational resources for people. So we'll be doing lots of stuff around uh, workshops for members of the community. Uh, as well as there's a mentorship program internally and we have a group building like an open source learning platform. There's all sorts of really interesting stuff going on, but it's kind of like the concept of seasons for us. It's just a way to try and like align all the community members and try and push in like a, in like a similar direction. Um, and that all kicks off on the 22nd of August. Um, so yeah, like a, we're a week out. It's all very exciting. Wow, that is exciting. Okay, there's a lot of stuff to get into. Maybe just a high level, we can go through the various activities that developer DAO gets up to. So there was this conference. Was that an in-person conference or a digital conference? It was a virtual conference uh, and it was run in Gabba Town. And um, if anyone is like connected in crypto Twitter, there's like some people that you may know that ran it. There's a, there's a guy called Rahat, who's a dev role at Polygon. Um, another guy called Nob, who's maybe little less known in the Twitter sphere. Um, and uh, Josh, who's a dev role at Anchor now, I think. But yeah, it was a virtual conference. We had some really great partners. Uh, I think we had maybe like 30 speakers across two days or something like that. But yeah, really, really cool, really fun. All running in Town. It was, uh, it was really good. Awesome. Yeah, and we, I think we had like, what was it, like 100, 150, 200,000 or something like that in prizes and stuff that were given out. We paid the speakers. Uh, a lot of stuff that were kind of living up to the to the values and, and mission of our of our community were kind of like exemplified during that that conference. I think the thing that really put me off about a lot of doubts and a lot of crypto actually in general is around the hyper focus around speculation and stuff. And I think that developer DAO and developers in general and um and crypto, I guess, are you know, honestly, kind of in a position that's fortunate in the sense that we don't, for the most part, obviously, if the market is terrible, people might get laid off. But for the most part, like we're going to get paid regardless of market conditions. If we're working for like a protocol that has a nice treasury or, or that has a business model like Aave or Uniswap, for example, that actually is making revenue regardless of market conditions. And like, therefore, our focus is kind of more around getting people educated and giving them the technical skills to land a job and therefore be not really exposed to the market conditions. So if you if you become a developer, you can kind of get a job and you can make money and, and you're not as affected. So therefore, we try not to have any focus on like this whole speculative like aspect of it. So therefore, I think during this whole like bear bull market like changes, it doesn't really affect our community as much. You might see a little less excitement around certain things like a few months ago and it's starting to come back now. But I think compared to like communities that that are only focused and, and everything 
like about them is based on the current market conditions. I think that we've separated ourselves maybe a lot from those sorts of uh, people. Yeah, it seems like it's less about speculating on the membership token and more about w- what you really get from it is the educational experience. And so it's, it sounds like, so there's this web3con.dev if people want to check out the conference recap. So there's sort of this outreach stuff, very similar to what you were doing in Mississippi early on in your career. And then also these educational resources that are being built. I- I'm curious, uh, do you find the people who are coming into the DAO are people who had a previous career in web2 or people who are fresh to development and want to jump directly into web3 dev? It's definitely a combination of both. There's people that have worked at um, places like Facebook and Airbnb and um, Google and stuff uh, that are part of developer DAO. There are people who have never like written a lot of code that start by joining developer DAO, and, and it's everything in between. So it's actually a fairly, I would say, good mix of people. There isn't like I wouldn't. I wouldn't say there's like a majority of this type of person or that type of person. It's kind of completely uh, just mixed up. Cool. So there's these educational resources, which it sounds like are being even more formalized through some of the guilds are going to be building like an educational hub during season one. Well, we have a couple of things. Um, we have one of them is developer DAO school of code. We have the web three cons stuff. A lot of this, a lot of the stuff that we do is turning into other communities and orgs like spinning out, but we also have our own guilds. So maybe Kemp can talk about some of the guilds that are in place that are focused on education. Another thing that I would say though, before uh, Kemp uh, starts talking uh, is like, that I think is a little different is that like we really try to focus on highlighting and giving community members opportunities as opposed to highlighting the DAO. So for instance, instead of us putting together like a developer DAO curriculum and that being our main focus, one of the things that we've done is that we have like channels where people can share their own content and we try to highlight them. Because if you're a new developer or a new person coming into the community, you don't have a network for the most part. You know, you might have like a handful of people that you know, but there's a huge difference between like writing a blog post and putting it out there to like five or 10 people as opposed to like le- letting us leverage our platform to, to shine the spotlight on you. And I think that's been a great way for people to kind of like land jobs. So if, if they come into developer DAO and they, and they're like good at writing and they're a good programmer and they create like an open source project or a blog post, like if they share that on their own social media, the chances are no one's going to see it. But if they give it to us and then they let us to kind of like broadcast it out there, then that's been a great way for people to kind of grow their network, but also like land opportunities. And that's been one of the focuses uh, uh, that we've done. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, we try to highlight the work that other people have done as opposed to highlighting ourselves. Yeah. uh, For instance, I just saw today uh, Open Palette by Devin Abbott. I didn't realize was inspired partly by developer DAO. Devin is the creator of 721.so for people who've used that tool to create their own NFT contracts. So it definitely, I, I see this this in practice, developer projects being highlighted and, and lifted up by the DAO. Yeah, De- Devin's incredible. He, he actually shipped an IDE that was acquired by Airbnb and he ended up working at Airbnb for like a year or two there. And then I actually was fortunate enough to work with him also at Edge and Node. And I was also actually working with him a little bit when I was running my consultancy with React Native Training. He's, he's probably like top three, top five React Native engineers in the world wow. without even like, yeah, like without a doubt, he's, he's incredible. 
Um, he actually forked the developer DAO contract, I think, to build out the first version of Open Palette. And I think he even shared publicly that his uh, set of smart contracts and apps that he built with that, like, ended up resulting in, like, a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue over the course of, like, three months. Yeah, I saw in your one of your blog posts about this that uh, in just the f- first few months, $400,000 came through the Open Palette project, I think. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's amazing. But anyway, um, I think I kind of derailed this conversation. And <laughs> yeah, I we were going to talk about education Kemp, or, or any other projects, Kempster, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that, that come to mind as uh, exemplary of what the community can lift up. Yeah, for sure. I think that makes a really, really good point. Like probably the biggest value that developer DAO has created so far is supporting other people to grow themselves. Um, and I think it's really important to highlight that. I think I've, I've lost track of the number of people that have got awesome jobs or made their switch into web free is, and we'll probably attribute some of that to the community and the, the support and the sort of network effects of the, of the DAO. So yeah, that's, that's probably been our biggest like value return up until now for sure. Uh, but in terms of like season one, so Nada referenced a, uh, a project called School of Code. We've actually just realized there's a trademark clash. There's a School of Code that already exists, so we might change the name. Um, <laughs> but um, it's basically an open source learning platform. So if you imagine like uh, uh, tracks with lessons in them to learn how to deploy contracts across various networks or how to understand different protocols, the idea is that we create like an open an open learning platform that people can follow to learn like whatever it is, whatever track that they, that they, that they like. So at the moment that starts off with like EVM basically, but we were were looking to expand that across basically any protocol or any um, domain that we can over time. So it will be mostly focused on smart contracts and blockchain development, but we're also be building in like um, fundamental web development and computer science skills over time as well. So that's led by, some really uh, sort of OG involved members in the community. I give a shout out to there's Ropat, Pete Billingsby, who's just got a job at Arweave on the back of some of the stuff that he's done in the DAO. Um, uh, Meowie, Piablo, and, and a few others that are kind of driving that initiative, which is which is shaping up really nicely. And then probably the next thing is uh, we hold like workshops every week. So if you go to our YouTube, I think there's a workshops playlist. There are only like three workshops in now. Uh, but they've all been great. Um, they'll probably lean mostly towards development because we're developer DAO, but they're not restricted to that. So the first one was about like personal OPSEC in crypto and how to stay safe. Second one was then about uh, like deploying uh, React apps permanently to Arweave, which was uh, by Daiwat, who's another member who who kind of made the leap into into Web3 and got a super good job. I'll probably attribute some of that to to kind of like the, the networks and, uh, and like... Um, network effects of the DAO. Uh, and then the most recent one was like this crazy deep dive by a, a dude called um, Crooked.eth on Twitter. I don't know if you'd want me to out him, but this is uh, talking about uh, Ethereum and how it stores data. And like, it's, I don't know how long or how like much he hurt himself going down this rabbit hole to figure out all this stuff. <laughs> but, but, and it's, it's a lot of information packed into like 90 minutes, but uh, it's really, really interesting. Uh, so we'll be doing that every week, and then we have an internal mentorship program. And then aside from that, sort of outside of education, we have a like a brand called Vibes IRL, which, like, to be quite frank, is like a, we throw parties at conferences. There's a, uh, this was driven by Cami, who worked with Nada. She's a developer advocate at um, the Graph at the moment and is a absolute legend. 
but she's the first person I've seen to get developers dance, which is a pretty good achievement, I think. That's, um, that's so part, we do part that. of an understanding Ethereum. Uh, I just want to ask for people who are interested in the weekly workshops, how do they go follow up? Is that in the Discord? It is at the moment. So they're all recorded and streamed on YouTube. But in, like in terms of interacting with the speaker right now, it's kind of in the Discord. Um, so you need to be a member. But over time, we, we hope to try and open this stuff up a little bit more. It's just operationally a bit of a nightmare if you open up a Discord service of the world. And the uh, Vibes IRL events, are they only open to members of DeveloperDAO or are they open to anybody? Nah, they're open to anyone. Like if you're at a conference and you see one of our parties, come along, they're good fun. Very cool. And I guess one other thing we didn't talk about yet are all of the projects that have been incubated inside of DeveloperDAO and then have grown even larger. One that comes to mind is Perks. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about Perks? Uh, yeah, for sure. So um, Perks was kind of on my mind for a little while. It's a, Its goal is to try and offer DAOs a way to build out kind of like almost like employee benefits for their contributors. So DAOs are competing with traditional organizations and each other to kind of attract and retain members. And right now the, the reward model is basically based on the governance token in most cases or sometimes stables. A lot of the like ancillary or benefits that you get from being part of like a traditional org, like, I don't know, but it could even go to healthcare eventually, but like discounted gym membership, whatever, um, to try and provide DAOs a way to really easily spin up a kind of rewards platform. There's loads of protocols and products and services out there that are looking for distribution. There's loads of DAOs out there have grouped together people with shared skills and interests. So it's kind of like connecting those three groups together. So like, products, protocols, services that want to target specific groups of people can offer like unique benefits to people based on the DAOs that they're a part of. So you'd authenticate in the platform, it would check what DAOs you're a part of, and then you would get presented like a list of like discounts at the moment primarily, but like rewards based on um, what you're doing in the DAO space and what you're a part of. So something like, um, like I know there's like student benefits, GitHub has a package of student benefits for getting you AWS credits and all kinds of different free intro to different services so the similar kind of thing you could offer to members of a particular DAO is that the idea yeah exactly like that like almost yeah basically exactly like that. that's a really good metaphor and then like um hopefully eventually we can provide some flexibility for DAOs to be able to offer custom benefits so like that might amount to like if you've attended x many events and got the PO apps you could get free merch or like there's a whole different like number of directions it could go in but we kind of shipped it with as minimal viable product as possible. It doesn't have a back end. It's just our table and hopefully the DAOs and contributors and partners can tell us what they actually want us to build. Very cool. So that's a Perks P3RKS if people want to check it out. And so that, that kind of, I guess, was incubated based on your experience in developer DAO and with friends from developer DAO and is now maybe spinning out into its own project eventually. Yeah, so it, it already is its own project, but developer DAO is backing it. So like one of the really like, kind of associated with what Nato and, and we were saying about one of the benefits of being a member is being able to take advantage of the network effects and the, the, the actual network and people that you can meet in the DAO. Like it's a great place to come and build shit. So like I meet people that want to build stuff that have ideas that have skills. We're hoping to create pathways for people to go to come into the DAO, find other folks that are interested in their ideas, build stuff together and the DAO can support them to kind of get that off the ground and go from zero to one. And that could be support financially. That could be support to kind of open doors for them using the kind of brand name it could be all sorts of stuff. But yeah, we're hoping that more projects can kind of replicate that, that model. There is another one called soil, which is building this like super interesting kind of like discord onboarding 
kind of coordination tool, which is looking super promising. It's got loads of excitement around it. But yeah, we want to create, like lay down pathways for other people to be able to come into the DAO and be successful. And that might be learning, like for the education stuff, or that might be they've got an idea, they want people to help build it, and they want like a support to be able to ship it and, and get it out to, to folks to enjoy. So it sounds like it's not only a place for people who are interested in Web3 to meet a social community of other developers of various skill levels, and then also get access to educational resources that have been developed by people who've gone through the same kind of experience, also build their projects, talk to other people about the projects they're working on, and then if they have a mind to make them into something more productized, even incubate and then spin out and possibly even take some kind of investment from DeveloperDAO or in some other way compensate DeveloperDAO for having incubated the project as it goes off to live its own life, both inside and outside of the DAO. Yeah, exactly. Like Nana put together this great post about some of his vision early on, which is on our mirror. If someone could uh, uh, track it down or I can share it afterwards. Like the idea of like um, kind of elevating other people, kind of more specifically the idea of like creating almost like a web-free accelerator within the DAO and taking advantage of like all of the partnerships that we have and network effects and talent that we have to trying to create a space for folks to be able to come in and, and sort of shout ideas and, and ship them and, and grow them. Very cool. Okay, so I think we now have a pretty good understanding of what Developer DAO has been about. Season one is about to start. What is a few things I want to know specifically about? I'd love to know more about the legal organization that you've set up and why that's necessary and what it gives you as a benefit. Uh, and then also how season one is going to allow more people into the DAO and what the tokenomics and mechanics of that are going to be. Yeah, sure. So, okay, cool. So, so what we've set up is a, a Cayman Foundation. So we have um, walked the same path that others have walked in this space and, and emulated what they've done. So Gitcoin, ENS, Moundsdow, Ape Foundation, which is like Board Ape Yacht Club, and, and a load of other DAOs uh, have um, gone through this like crazy long discovery process of, of creating the foundation. And, and the reason that these came in foundations are suitable for DAOs is because you can have like an ownerless structure. Um, so there's no like shareholders. Um, but then you can also put in place kind of like bylaws for the organization, which basically mean the DAO's in charge and the foundation is like a, an entity that represents the DAO's interest and basically has to do whatever the DAO says. So the main benefits for creating that are providing some like limited liability for our members, like like who knows what the liability is without any legal, legal structure and that's kind of half the problem. So it's like we can provide some liability where the foundation can absorb that liability. We can also comply or at least know what our tax obligations are. So if the DAO is making money, if it's complying with tax obligations in a specific jurisdiction, then that shouldn't flow down to members. And then it allows us to interface with the real world, right? So there's lots of people that want to partner with us. Some of them are okay not doing KYC and not signing contracts. Most of them are. <laughs> so like being able to do that, it's like it's, it shouldn't be understated like how much of an unlock that is for the community. But they're kind of the primary motivations for for why we did it. Um, and there's some, uh, we have a governance proposal up which kind of breaks down that structure. If people want to check it out, it's forum.developerdow.com. It's probably the latest post on there, which kind of breaks down the kind of what, why, how about that structure. Very cool. So basically it gives you some security for, or some liability safety for members, participants in developer DAO to feel confident participating in the DAO. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now we've had members like, like sell their NFTs because they were worried, rightly so, about like, 
there's no certainty or, or no clarity or here around like what the implications are on them. So like it allows us like no, no legal structure is perfect. And like, this is all evolving and it's different in ju- jurisdictions, but it provides us with significantly better protection for, for folks that are involved in the DAO for sure. Right. And lets you interact with these other legal entities that want that uh, to, to be able to, I don't know, sign a contract to rent a location or something like that. But yeah, that shouldn't be understated. Like in order to do some of the stuff IRL that we've done, over the last months, individuals have had to take on liability, so that it allows us to kind of do away with that and, and kind of absorb that at the organization level. And are you able to do that with a Cayman? Is it a nonprofit? What, what, what is the Cayman organization type? The legal terminology is a, a foundation limited by guarantee with no share capital, which basically equates to like an ownerless foundation. But like in terms of how it interfaces with the real world and like signing contracts and stuff, like it's equitable to like any other legal entity that can sign agreements and whatnot. But the key thing is there's no shareholders that can take dividends and the way the structure is set up is like rather than follow it, rather than being like duty bound to shareholders, you could be duty bound to a defined set of stakeholders based on the docs that you like implement or the legal documentation that you implement for the org. So in our case, the foundation is duty bound to do what the DAO wants it to do. Very cool. Very cool. So duty bound to an on-chain collection of token holders, whatever kind of entities those might be. That's very cool. And it's okay for dealing in the real world, uh, like, a, I don't know, a hotel in San Francisco is all right with renting out a space to a Cayman, uh, whatever kind of organization you just said, that long name? <laughs> yeah. So, there, I mean, there are some limitations. So uh, opening bank accounts in Cayman as a foundation isn't exactly easy. And the bank accounts that you can open are, are not exactly modern, so you don't get a, like a an online interface that you can log into. Uh-huh. Um, you've got to do it IRL, um, unfortunately. It's not a very good place to register IP. So in IP law, like basically America is God, and then beneath America is like the UK and European countries. So like, if you like, register IP in the Cayman, like, it doesn't really mean a huge amount to so. say. There are some things that it doesn't solve for us that we need to kind of explore and maybe evolve the structure. But in terms of solving those like primary goals that we had, like it, it does what we need to do. So it's good. Very cool. And do you consider the creation of the Cayman Foundation and so, sort of these logistics operations around the DAO uh, part of the maybe more advanced content that you would consider being open about and educating folks about? Or is that very much just operations and not something you're interested in educating others about how to do? So one of the beauties of DAOs is all of this stuff is public, right? So if you go to our governance forum, you can read the breakdown that I've shared with the community on how this all works and like the bylaws for the organization, which kind of connects the DAO to the foundation and explains how governance and the directors of the foundation interact. Like all of that stuff is open. Um, and the same thing applies to Gitcoin, API 3 DAO and a number of other DAOs. Like if you're interested in going down this rabbit hole, like, you can check out the governance proposals that we put up, Gitcoin's put up, uh, API, API free DAOs put up. Like you can see how these kind of things are structured. And that's one of the beauties of, of this whole system, I think. So cool. So cool. This is one thing I was a little bit critical of Nouns when they created their, I believe it's also a Cayman Foundation. They're very tight-lipped about the details of the documents and such. And I think this is something we really, there's no competitive advantage with, uh, aside from the fact that we're in a positive sum era of this technology there's no competitive advantage to liability limitation. That's something everybody should have access to and we should make as, as popular and available as possible. So very cool that you're sharing those documents. Yeah, seeing them work through this stuff over the last few months has been very, very fascinating to say the least because it's all 
kind of such a gray and nuanced, undocumented space. And I think that they've just done an incredible job getting us to where we are today by kind of doing all of this research. It's just been, it's been an incredible amount of work that they've done. And, um, you know, just seeing it all kind of come together, I think it would be extremely valuable if someone kind of curated it into kind of like some place where someone could easily go and consume it all in one place. I don't think that Kemp or maybe someone that is involved in the day-to-day should do that just because they have so much other work to do. But if someone wanted to find a way to kind of provide value and, and, and do that themselves, that would be cool to see for sure. Totally. If anybody in the audience wants to come up and ask a question, please just request and I'll, I'll bring folks up as we go. Uh, so I have uh, one more question and then we can throw it to, to folks uh, from the audience. I wanted to get into season one. There's new tokenomics. There's a new token, a fungible token that will be equivalent to owning an NFT. If you hold, is it 400 of the fungible? Maybe, Kempster, you could explain a little bit. Yeah, so, um, so the governance token is called Code, which is a nice sort of hat tip to, to developers. Although we are have many people that aren't developers in the organization, but that's our governance token. So it's like a, a, a non-financial way of decentralizing governance in the organization and, and, and therefore like decision making in order to get access to the discord at least at launch of that token the original nft that still currently controls governance by like one nft one vote that will always maintain access to the organization and there are there's already one derivative project of that which is like a pixel based avatar project based on the traits in the nft and there are ideas around like how can we give this NFT utility into the future, even though the, the new governance token is replacing it from a, a governance point of view. But if you want to join in the future, you can still buy the NFT. And then when you get into the org, although you wouldn't have governance rights, there'll be lots of opportunities to earn code and then therefore have governance rights. Or if you wanted to sort of buy code on the open market, like one of the restrictions of a, a foundation is we can't sell that token because we'd have to do basically KYC with everyone and no one wants to do that. But as like liquidity pools turn up, probably maybe in the in the space, like obviously you can buy that on the open market and join. But yeah, there's a threshold of 400 to get into the server to begin with, which is like the baseline for our airdrop. But I suspect that will evolve over time. We want to open it up as much as we possibly can. It's just like one day having a having like a, a that kind of restriction, and then the next day opening it up to everyone. Like I don't know if anyone's ever been in like an NFT Discord or something like that. Like it's a it's kind of tough to manage. So how does the initial distribution work? Uh, so 50% being airdropped, 50% going into the community treasury. So about 50% that's being airdropped, which is basically a flatline airdrop to everyone that holds the NFT, which is 400, which is the threshold that we just spoke about. Um, and then on top of that, there's different ways that people have a, a larger share of that airdrop. So some of them are about like voting on early proposals in the DAO, uh, holding certain POAPs in the, POAPs in the DAO to kind of like signal involvement and contribution. Uh, and then we did a big early contributors round. So like a huge, I can't remember the percentage off the top of my head, but like a huge proportion of that, like 50% of the allocation or, or, or total amount was uh, put into like a big coordinate round. So anyone that contributed up to the point of that coordinate round all entered into uh, that round and kind of allocated and rewarded each other. It's like a social signal. If anyone doesn't know what coordinate is, it's basically a way of socially signaling to other people in a group how much value you think they've added. And then we distributed a huge proportion of the tokens to people who were involved in that 
process um, proportionally based on the like kudos basically that they got from other people. Um, and then the original founding team have like a percent each. Uh, and we have a, a one advisor that, that has a percentage as well. And then something that hasn't been mentioned is um, uh, Gitcoin. Uh, hopefully everyone's aware of Gitcoin. If you're not, check them out. Incredibly important organization in the space. They did a governance token swap with us early on, which I think is one of the primary reasons that a lot of the core team and everyone else had the confidence to move forward with developer DAO seriously, which has helped fund a lot of our early operations. So they allocated us 50,000 GTC in this swap, and we will put 5% of our governance token back to Gitcoin when we launch the token, and then they'll become like a delegated governance actor in our governance moving forward as well. Very cool. I love those. Uh, yeah, I've been wanting to call out uh, Gitcoin. Uh, Gitcoin heavily influenced like our culture and our missions and our values as well. They're very aligned with like our, the same things that we care and we um, are passionate about. And, but like in addition to them just being like an inspiration, they literally funded uh, in a sense our, are not really funded. I would say they, they literally just kind of like gave us that very early, I would say confidence, like Kent mentioned to make us feel like we actually had something that was valuable and, I can't uh, say enough about, you know, Scott and um, Kevin and and all of the Gitcoin people. We really appreciate everything that they've done. And um, again, they are a reason that uh, we are like where we are today for sure. Awesome. Okay. We have some people who would like to ask a question. Newell Geek, welcome. Are you a member of DeveloperDAO? And what would you like to say? Hi. Hi, Nader. Hi, Nicholas. Um, I'm not a member of Developer DAO yet, but um, I guess if I get that as a better presence, I'm so glad for that, by the way. So here's my question. Um, now that I think I really enjoyed the session when you came around to my um, to Oscar Fest in my country um, a few months ago. Yeah, I really enjoyed the, I really enjoyed you speaking there. So my question is, how do a Web3 developer get more opportunities um, as a junior role or internship, because I think that has been one of the things that is lacking in Web3 since I joined. It's been a project from speedrun or uh, taking challenges like uh, Ethernauts or them the Fiverr vulnerable. Um, apart from taking challenges like that, I've not really seen internship that are out there for Web3 developers. Uh, although I've seen one from Nethermind, but um, they also have, uh, let's say, little it's really not easy to get into Nethermind and other Web3 internships. So how do Web3 developers get general roles and also internship in the Web3 space? So you're kind of asking about fitting the door in your first role and ship or, or some type of thing or just good opportunity to kind of Got it. Definitely not like the traditional tech world in that you're not going to probably go through the process of like creating a, there are a lot of teams who still operate that way, but for the most part, key is kind of being able to is, is kind of like facing. So um, you mentioned maybe that you were already doing stuff like taking uh, courses and maybe writing and doing open source. Is that kind of, is that, is that about right? Like, have you been doing yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also be, uh, participating in hackathons and um, my team have won some, um, some um, gifts, uh, some rewards from the hackathons, and we've also built some projects that are looking for grants and, and change like Conflux and other 
on blockchain platforms. And so you've won hackathons already, and then you've applied for grants. Yeah, yeah, I've won for hackathons. Uh, we're also working on some projects that we look to um, launch as as um, soon as possible. Yeah. So. Have you had any luck getting grants for those? None yet. We are the final stage of getting a grant for from Conflux blockchain. I don't know if you know about that. So, um, like fifty thousand dollars grants, but. Um, for a couple of months, I think when the market really went bad, things slowed down a bit. But yeah, we are still hopeful that everything works out um, well with our, our current product, uh, product of views. I mean, to be honest, you sound like you're in a really good position to be able to land a role. I'm surprised that you haven't had any luck yet. Yeah, yeah. What I want to say is that maybe what I feel is pretty difficult for me because I actually switched from being a graphic designer. Um, eight months ago to becoming a smart contract developer. So um, I didn't really get basic skills as a Web2 developer. So Solidity was one of the first language I learned. And then I had to learn TypeScript and JavaScript along. And then um, I think I was taught by some of the um, developers who worked at Avigotchi um, under Nick Merge and, and that. So... Yeah, and so basically what I see on rules are majorly um, people who have two or three years um, software engineering um, experience or front-end developers. So they are not really asking for um, just smart contract developer, which is making it pretty hard for me. So I guess that's uh, one of the difficulties I'm finding in getting uh, an opportunity. Yeah, I would say that as far as getting a job as a smart contract developer is concerned, it's a lot tougher than getting a role as a front-end developer, to be quite honest. Mainly because when you're dealing with smart contracts, I feel like there is less of like this spread between junior, intermediate, and senior level. Because if you're most of the protocols that have smart contracts, like if you have like one tiny mistake, there's going to be often like massive repercussions like if you if you kept up with all the DeFi hacks uh, what happened with nomad one tiny tiny uh, mistake can often lead to you know massive um, losses in that case almost 200 million dollars but with um there are opportunities though like i would say for beginner to intermediate people with maybe doing stuff like nfts and stuff but to, to be quite honest like i would say for people looking to get their foot in the door i would 100 percent be focusing on javascript and front-end, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, front-end frameworks that would build on top of protocols that have more experienced smart contract engineers. And then I would kind of like say, okay, my goal is to be a smart contract engineer, but I would kind of maybe extend the amount of time expected to kind of land one of those roles to be longer than what it might take to land a front-end role. And instead of trying to, 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 to study and understand everything across the entire stack, from front end to smart contracts to anything else, I would try to kind of like uh, maybe narrow the scope of the things that I would focus on and try to sell myself as less of a full stack smart contract developer and front end developer and say instead I am like a front end developer. And I think that's probably going to be the easiest way to get your foot in the door based on just what I've seen. If you're a senior level smart contract engineer, you could literally land a role today for half a million or, or so dollars, and you would have people actually lining up to hire you. But the number of people that are like at that skill level are so small, and the amount of work it takes to kind of get there is like 
quite a bit. Instead, I think the, 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 the route that I see people taking to get to that point are they just want to like get their foot in the door. So therefore I think the easiest way to do that is like to focus on front end stuff. So I would kind of like rescope my positioning as a candidate to say, okay, I'm a um, expert front end developer that knows how to integrate well with these smart contracts on the back end, and um, not try to say that I understand like, and I am good at doing everything. Unless maybe you are like, there's definitely people out there that are kind of, exceptions to this role you know but for me as someone that's been like studying and writing smart contracts for uh i guess a year and a half now i still wouldn't kind of like consider myself someone that would would probably be someone that would like sell themselves or try to get hired as a smart contract engineer for anything that would be non-trivial so yeah i guess what i'm trying to say is like scope down maybe the the things that you're trying to, to focus on to be, you know, mainly probably front end stuff to get your foot in the door. And then from there you can kind of maybe expand um, what you're trying to do. And I think a good way, like you're, it sounds like you're doing the right things with hackathons and grants and stuff. Instead of maybe trying to kind of like find a full-time role off the bat, you might also apply for grants or make your way into communities and discords and try to identify opportunities where you can kind of like lend your skill set to solve a problem and then say, okay, I see a problem that can be solved and I'm going to apply for a grant. And this grant would pay me five or $10,000 a month to kind of like solve this problem. And then once you actually solve that and you're able to show that team that you can deliver, then they might come back to you and say, I want to hire you full time. I know at the graph, we actually hired a handful of people that way where they would apply for a grant. We would give them the grant and then we would offer them a full-time job because we were able to kind of like work with them over the course of a couple of months and, and realize that they were someone that we would want to hire. Yeah, that's great advice. A couple other things I might add to that. If you're really dead set on not doing front end, you can possibly work on subgraphs and focus on being a subgraph developer without being, you know, doing important work that's not front end work and is also not mission critical solidity work. And if you're really dead set on being a solidity dev or a smart contract dev in general, you might start by doing code arena challenges as a warden and finding bugs in those. And if you can rise in the ranks of that, then you can build experience being aware of all the possible vulnerabilities. Maybe that can get you closer. Also, as Nader mentioned, doing NFT contracts sort of less dangerous, generally simpler contracts, not handling as much money could be a good way as a kind of part-time gig, but not so much like a full-time thing. We also have Narahari. Hey, Narahari, how's it going? You're a developer DAO member, right? Hey, yes, that is correct. Yeah, so I had a question for for Nader. And one thing that you mentioned earlier in the space uh, was that a lot of people putting out educational resources for free. And that was something that, you know, you really appreciated and therefore you kind of wanted to become uh, something similar when you kind of uh, got into tech as well. And so this is something that resonated with me as well because having like YouTube videos from from people like you um, and more recently like in the last month when I've joined DeveloperDAO, having all these resources like at my disposal have definitely like helped me get into to Web3, like coming from a more traditional like Web2 tech background. But then my question is like at the same time, like you mentioned that it costs you like 5k to, to deploy this like Des for revolution contract. Um, obviously you're putting a lot of like time resources into the process of, of creating, you know, resources for others. 
And there's a lot of people in uh, developer DAO, I think, that are kind of in a similar boat, putting out really amazing content for a lot of people. So my question, I guess, is do you see any ways that crypto can kind of help you know, educators like yourself and the others in developer DAO that are putting out awesome content, like capture some of this value? And I guess for me, like I, I've kind of been getting into the Web3 music space a little bit more recently, um, building tools for creators. And one thing that we've kind of learned is like, uh, with crypto, you can do this kind of um, free to consume, valuable to own kind of model. And with this, you know, they're able to capture some some of the value that they previously weren't able to capture using you know traditional distribution methods. So I'm kind of curious to to kind of hear your thoughts um, thoughts on this and and how how you can kind of potentially uh, you know generate more value for yourself as well as a creator. Sure. So I would say I would recommend first of all, if you're going to launch uh, a DAO or a smart contract today, it's going to be a lot less expensive than then because gas has gone down. But also, you might choose to instead launch it on L2 or even a side chain like Polygon. I've launched uh, contracts lately on Polygon that have cost me like less than a dollar, which is kind of cool. And so like, I would just throw that out there as well because it does sound kind of daunting like hearing that it did cost a few thousand um, on L1 Ethereum. And I think like a year from now, we'll probably never hear of anyone really deploying to L1. I think L2s have started to really uh, obviously become like, you know, more of the the use case for most applications and stuff. But like, as far as like getting value as a creator in, in this space, I think developers hold again, kind of like a unique position in, in that, that if we kind of like create content and we create code, we put it out there to the world, we can often land a job that just pays us consistently. And we kind of have a more traditional like income flow that would be kind of just like having a job anywhere else. So if you are someone that wants to get hired as an engineer or a DevRel, or if you want to get hired as like a content creator, maybe even someone that's kind of like a community organizer, and you kind of have shown that you're able to communicate and write well, you can often just land a job that just pays you a monthly salary or something, which is great. But for more like Web3 monetization like use cases and strategies that are a little different. I think what Lens Protocol is offering is actually kind of really interesting and in that you're able to kind of build out a social, social like media following that is transferable across different networks. So you can build your following on like a Twitter-like app and then have that follow you to YouTube and you can have that follow you to like a TikTok type of like application. And then within that platform, you can actually monetize by doing things like creating NFTs and creating collectible posts that do fundraising types of mechanisms. So, you know, in the past, we might have thought of like someone that wants to monetize their audience, like doing an NFT, like, or something like that, NFT drop. But I think that we've seen that start to maybe die off a little bit because it's not really a sustainable thing. And I think it's not really something that makes sense for most people. But if you are... Um, on a platform like Lens Protocol and you have like a thousand followers, for example, and uh, you spend like a few days creating like a really, really interesting like blog post or something, you can actually share that on Lens and then have uh, a module that's like configured that says you can collect this for like five or $10. And all you really need is like a handful of people to kind of collect that to, to kind of like have some type of return on, your uh, work that is at least somewhat meaningful. Um, I don't think though that we've figured out true, um, I would say fair monetization yet on anything Web3. 
I think what you see is like hyper, hyper monetization for certain people like, oh, like this person just knows kind of what they're doing and launches something and they make a million dollars or something. And then you have someone else that's much more talented that launches something and they don't get anything. So I don't think that we figured it out yet, to be quite honest. And I think that um, the most practical way right now is just to like land a job and a protocol and like get paid and uh, like continue improving your skill set, improving your network. And then hopefully we'll continue figuring this out. But I think the approach that Lens is taking is kind of the most interesting right now. And I think we're going to see more of that, that type of innovation happening with social graphs, mainly because the accessibility of these applications is actually going to open up to the entire world because you don't need to have tokens to interact on Lens. And then in the future, you're get, you, you've seen Arbitrum launch Nova, which is like a low-cost transaction chain that is being integrated with Reddit. But I think what you're going to see is that instead of the approach that we think that we, in the past, we're going to take to onboard users through fiat on-ramps and stuff, Instead, we're going to like onboard them with wallets on these these social uh, graph applications. And then from there, they now have a wallet and we can now find ways to kind of like let them interact on these different protocols and stuff. I hope that wasn't too much of a rant. <laughs> no, awesome. That, that was very helpful. Thank you so much. Great. Well, we're about to hit the hour and a half, so I don't want to go too long. Uh, Natter Kempster, thank you so much for coming through and explaining Developer DAO. Uh, I definitely learned a lot, and it's very exciting. Uh, when does season one start? How long do we have, and and where should people catch up with Developer DAO? Uh, season one starts on the twenty second. To be honest, the best place to catch up, like if you want to see a feed of what we're doing, is probably Twitter. And if you want to lean more into some of the like more uh, the depths of what we're doing then like feel free to draw our server uh, sorry not server um forum and that kind of does the deep dive into a lot of the stuff that we're, we're doing at the moment very exciting so 10 days until the start of season one the launch of the code token and the expansion of developer dao to uh even broader audience of people i guess it'll be what is it around seven thousand people now so above that closer to 10k even more pretty exciting yeah hopefully We'll be, we'll be, um, there's still a, like a, um, an economic barrier to joining, but like we'll, during season one, we'll be trying to create ways for people to earn their way into the community and also programs to try and like, um, gift memberships to various different organizations and different stuff. So keep an eye out for that stuff. But like if, uh, if for whatever reason you're, you're unable to join at the moment, like we'll, we'll be working hard to try and break down those barriers during season one as well. One mechanism that I want to take is that like how Alchemy has Road to Web3 and Women Build Web3 has 30 Days of Web3 where people take these educational like resources and they complete them. And then once they've completed them, they get a proof of knowledge, like what they can use maybe like on the resume. I think that one area that I want to really dive into is how we can kind of use education onboarding as a way to get into the DAO. So you don't have to like do anything other than just like learn something. And then not only do you get that as a like result a positive result of kind of like having gone through that, you might be able to land a job or something, but then you also get entry into the DAO and you don't have to spend anything. So I think, I think that's kind of like what I see is probably the most thing that makes the most sense for us to kind of now onboard more people now that we have a lot more um, room to bring more people in. So like the idea would be you take a course when you finish the course, we verify that you completed it with some type of like, you know, manual verification process 
to be quite honest, because there isn't really a civil resistant way to kind of do that, automate that. And then once you finish that, then you get access to the DAO. And that would be, to me, a really like very aligned, like a values aligned way for us to start onboarding new people. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But, uh, but thanks for having us, by the way. It has yeah. been a really cool conversation. Yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, I hope we get to do it again. And uh, I'll see you both in the Discord, no doubt. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain. To keep up with everything Web3, follow me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. You can find links to the topics discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Podcast feed links are available at web3galaxybrain.com. Web3 Galaxy Brain airs live most Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2200 UTC on Twitter Spaces. I look forward to seeing you there.